Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This one was a great episode. Me and Dan were joined by none other than Aaron Warbritton of The Hunting Public. Um, you guys probably all know Aaron. We got into all kinds of cool things, uh, whether it be how they started The Hunting Public and, and kind of their thoughts on on where the hunting public is now, as well as some, some tactical advice for going out of state. So before we get into the episode, I've got to thank some of my partners. First partner I have to thank is Stealth Outdoors. Lou and the crew at Stealth Outdoors do a great job with, with customer service. They also have a, a product that is second to none uh, when it comes to silencing your gear. Um, I've had stealth strips on all my gear for many, many years now, and I think probably the, the first piece of gear I stealth strip probably has that stealth tape still on it. Um, my favorite product from Stealth Outdoors is definitely the buckle silencers. Typically, whenever you're climbing a stand, putting a uh, hanging up, you're going to run into issues with noise on the, the buckles. So get those covered up with buckle silencers. Also, got to thank the guys from Exodus Outdoors. They make the best cell camera, in my opinion, in the industry. Um, the Render 4G LTE has some really fast transmission times and uh, great battery life, especially if you throw one of their solar panels on it. Um, they also have some cool stuff coming down the line um, in the archery realm that I think everybody's going to really like. And if you go to their website and subscribe to their, their email list, you'll get updates on that product when it comes out. Uh, they also go above and beyond for their customers, producing all kinds of good content for you on their YouTube channel and their podcast platforms. Finally, I need to thank Hunting Beast Gear. Right now is hands down one of the best times to buy a beast stand and sticks. Uh, they're running a sale right now, which almost never happens. The beast stand, in my opinion, is the best run and gun stand in the industry I mean, if, if you're a private land hunter or a public land hunter i think it's really important to have one in your arsenal uh, to have a successful season this year um, and the bee sticks are also on sale it's no secret that the the bee sticks probably uh, reinvented the mobile hunting industry and, and kind of kicked off this uh, this lightweight stuff that we are all involved in now um, and in my opinion, it's still the best stick on the market. So go to huntingbeastgear.com and buy you some beast gear. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, was it show show 12 now? You guys can see on the on the screen, uh, we have Aaron Warburton from the hunting public. What's up, guys? Show tonight. Hey. So, uh, yeah, you two. I'm gonna dub you guys the uh, the worst luck for vehicles in the hunting industry. Is what I, <laughs> I what you two have in common. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw Aaron. You guys were uh, you guys are pig hunting in Texas like this weekend, or what were you doing down there? Yeah, we we're hunting hogs. We we're down there for the last uh, four or five days. Had a blast. Other than just sweating our butts off, but. Uh, it was yeah. really fun. I love hunting pigs. Wish we had more time to do it. Yeah, That's for sure. Fun. No pressure. You just go out and kill them. Yeah, they're just, and they're all over the place. You just go out there and everybody wants them gone. You don't need a license. You don't, you can hunt them all night if you want. Yeah, it's just awesome. 
and they're they're actually pretty dang smart especially the big ones big boars that yeah. get three or four years old like they use the wind to their advantage and all kinds of stuff so you've got to be set up right on them and if you're not they'll they'll bust you and you won't get a shot at them so they adapt to the, the pressure now? what's that are you on the road now no uh-uh i'm back we just got back uh uh what was that a couple of days ago me and ted rolled in at 3 30 in the morning oh man our uh our first few episodes of this show was uh we talked about hog hunting quite a bit and none of us really have all i've killed one hog my entire career so people were asking questions about hogs and we were trying to answer them but uh so you've actually killed some hogs whereas uh, me and Dan just really a couple not, yeah. not a ton just a couple i've actually i've actually been bow hunting them down there for three years and everybody else but me has killed one with a bow up until this year i got one this year and i've killed one in georgia with a muzzleloader but yeah they're fun they're a blast. If I lived where they were like prevalent, I wouldn't get anything done. Yeah. Like, I'd yeah. be out freaking hunting all the time. Oh yeah. The ranch fairy, that's what he does all year. He's always hunting those things. Yeah. 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 I, I, I went in South Carolina and ended up killing one down there. They're everywhere. Sure. If I'd had a, if you had a rifle or a, I shot one with a longbow, but if you'd had one with a, if you had a compound or a rifle, I don't know, we'd kill a bunch of them, but yeah, um, it was on a private farm farmers having issues with him so we tried to take care of him he was pretty disappointed whenever i showed up with a longbow um, <laughs> but oh <laughs> uh, anyway um dan anything new with you going on this week your barn uh started no it's not started dan, dan gives us a barn update every yeah oh <laughs> uh, oh well it'll get done eventually um so before we kind of get into it, everybody, um, probably a lot of new people on uh, this evening. So if you have any questions for us, leave them in the comment section and we'll try to answer them at the end. It depends on, on how many call-ins we have and whatnot. And speaking of call-ins, if you want to call in and ask your question live on the show, um, I will put a link in the comments here uh, closer to the Q&A <coughs> section and you can click on the link and follow uh, the directions on the link to get into the show, and then I'll pop you up on the screen. I don't know how many call-ins we'll have today. We'll have probably enough time for at least a few. Um, try to keep them to one question per call-in, and uh, probably no like scenario-type questions uh, tonight, guys. Um, those are kind of hard to answer and um, a little bit hard to um, you know feel like we gave you a good answer for them, and they're a little time-consuming. So uh, I want to be respectful to everybody that's listening. So... Yeah, I'll leave you guys the the link here in a bit after we get done talking and I'm ready for the Q&A. Um, make sure you have a, you're going to be on the screen, so make sure you're in an appropriate area and uh, your mic's on and all that good stuff on your phone. Um, Aaron, um, everybody probably knows you're, uh, you know, one of the uh, founders of The Hunting Public. Um, and I guess my, my first question to you was like, how, how did that all come about? I was kind of doing some research on you guys and, and it looks like you posted your first video back in October of 2017. So going on five years ago now, um, I guess what was your guys' goals back then? And, and why did you start, start the hunting public? Our goals back then were not to starve. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we started it with nothing pretty much. I mean, a few thousand bucks that me and Greg had saved to buy some cameras and laptops and 
then we just had to work odd jobs and side jobs for like the first year or so, maybe a little more than that before we finally realized we could make some income off of it. But it wasn't till it wasn't till most of the way through the second year of the hunting public that we got to the point where we could actually, you know, make somewhat of a living out of it for a few of us anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of a long story, I guess we, but I won't go, I'll give you the brief version. I've me personally, I've been filming hunt since I was 10, 11 years old. And that's just what I always wanted to do. And I eventually, you know, work for a bunch of different businesses, part-time in the outdoor industry through high school and college wound up getting an internship at Midwest Whitetail and learned a ton about web video while I was there. And I eventually went to work for Winky at Midwest Whitetail. And I, I worked there for about seven and a half years. Um, and then started the hunting public after my time there. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a slow progression over time. But if you've watched the show and you know us, I mean, if you've watched the show, you do know us because we were just, you know, I mean, what you see is what you get <laughs> on there. We pretty well show everything. Um, we're all from, I guess you could say we're all your typical average deer hunter or turkey hunter from different parts of the country. And we feel like we have that, you know, that aspect in common amongst our group and even amongst the general public that hunts. We all grew up hunting small tracks of private land or public land um, and just had to find ways to, to get it done and we felt like when we started thp that there wasn't a lot of content out there like that and um you know so we just sort of took the plunge and like i said we took a we took a risk because we weren't making any money at the time and used what little money we had saved up on this project so we didn't have any idea if it was going to work or not i figured i was just going to go back to working on washington dryers like i did through college um but Ended up getting lucky and having it work out, and now here we are. <laughs> it's been a pretty cool uh, ride, you know. Um, watching it from the outside, from the beginning, uh, it's remarkable the way uh, that you've stuck to the mission and uh, really, uh, you know, kept it right. I mean, you see a lot of people start out right, and they end up falling into the sponsor trap and the money trap and and everything. And uh, I think. Uh, you guys are really doing it right and that's that's the big thing that's made it different i'm also really impressed on the way you guys get along i mean uh every group i know um you see a lot of fighting and stuff i think uh that's the one thing you just you got a little lucky with the group you got that you got a really good group of guys together that are all solid dudes you know yeah oh yeah you're right about that 100 percent. like uh and we don't when it comes to creating content i guess that kind of our mission behind it all is that as long as we're creating something of value for the viewers i don't care who's doing it it's just whoever is involved in the group or whoever we're with and filming at the time as long as something valuable is coming out of it for the viewers uh that's you know that's our mission anyway and yeah we get we get our door knocked on all the time by sponsors, but you got to turn them away because you're, you know, the mission in general was set out to kind of put the viewers first. You know, I've worked with other businesses in the outdoor industry and you know, Dan, I mean, a lot of them, 
will put sponsorships first because they're running a business. And you know, I don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not knocking them for doing that because they got bills to pay. But when we started this, we're like, we're going to flip that. We're just going to make content that, that is valuable to people that relates to people and let the chips fall where they may, you know, and if we can find a way to make it work, we'll make it work. If, if we can't, then we're still doing what we love to do. So that's kind of how we ended up here, I guess. Yeah. Me and Dan were actually talking about that um, before the podcast earlier today. Um, you know, I got a few partners here and it's like buddies I've made over the, over the time I've spent with Dan. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, we're kind of helping each other out and uh, yeah, you get offers from people. And it's just like, I don't know how people even think this is like, I don't know, you know, it's just um, for what sometimes content creators get out of, of what, um, a company is asking for, it's like, man, that's pretty rough. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, you, my, uh, email is, is just filled every day with stuff, you know, electric bikes to trail cameras, to everything. And what it boils down to is if it's something, you know, you really like, and you think is a good idea for people, maybe you do something with them, but if you just jump yeah. for all that money and you jump into all that product stuff, just to, um, either be able to say, Hey, I'm sponsored or that's just, you're not going to get anywhere. Nah, we always try stuff for, you know, at least a year, usually more than a year. You know, if yeah. somebody comes along and they're like, Hey, we want to work with you guys. It's like, well, you know, if it's, if we all take a look at it and think that it's something that could be valuable to our viewers, we'll have them send us some product and then we'll just test it for like a year or two you know, against whatever else that we're using at that time. And if, you know, because if we're, if it's something that we're going to use and we're going to buy ourselves regardless, then we got a lot of confidence in partnering with those, those companies. Like Onyx, we used Onyx for a long time before we ever worked with them. And just, you know, that was just what, what we were all using to, to, for our mapping at the time. So it was a good fit eventually when they came along that's the great thing about youtube is you're uh you're getting funded to make shows from youtube so yeah. you don't need that yeah back in yeah. the day when i started a show to get on tv would cost you a quarter of a million dollars for a quarter right you know you got to come up with two hundred fifty thousand dollars to have a show you had to sell out to sponsors where youtube you don't have to you're right. actually making money just by putting it on yeah, YouTube ad revenue and stuff. And it, granted, you know, they they sometimes will demonetize you and do some stuff that's frustrating, but we still make we still make money there, you know, enough to pay the bills and, uh, most of the time, as long as we don't get hammered too bad by them. And we haven't, we haven't that thus far. I mean, we haven't had too many bad issues with it. Just occasionally they'll flag one of them that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, it's a global content company. It's not like... It is absolutely nothing like uh, working with a hunting channel. You know, it's the complete opposite end of that spectrum. It's basically global social media. <laughs> you never know who could run across your video on YouTube. You never know when they're going to, uh, when they're just going to stop showing hunting shows too and stuff. Yeah, we don't know. You always have to have something on the back burner. Yeah, that's right. Especially someone like yourself, you put all your eggs in, into what you do. Yeah. Yeah, we can. We have a bunch of different revenue streams that keeps us moving. 
Um, and none of them, not any single one of them is extremely big. It's just, there's enough stuff, you know, we got enough small buckets around us that we can keep them filled enough to pay the bills. That also kind of, that, that also helps us mitigate that risk a little bit, because if YouTube drops out, we still have enough other stuff going on that we should be all right and be able to make adjustments, you know, and adapt and change or do whatever, do whatever we need to do. And if, I mean, if YouTube ever stops showing hunting content, like it won't take long for something else to absorb all that content and, you know, start doing the same thing. It's obviously not going to be as a big a scale, but at least you have an outlet to. Oh yeah. There'll always be places where, where hunters can go and watch hunting content. That's not really my, my major concern. My main concern is that if, if hunters get booted from social media in general and social media still continues to be one of the main ways that the globe communicates, especially young people, then we kind of lose our voice with those young people. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's what YouTube has shown to be is there's a, there's a lot of kids that we get watching our stuff just because they're, they, you know, I mean, every, every 10, 12 year old kid knows how to run YouTube. Yeah. Um, and if you're not on there, showing hunting content where you know where are they going to get exposed to it they're not going to go pay four dollars to go watch some show somewhere yeah else and download some app so anyway it's a good point or even just some exclusively hunting or outdoor yeah platform you know it's important it's important generation that yeah you got to keep in mind it's a good point did you ever uh did you ever see thp getting this big uh no, not really. Um, when we were creating public land hunting content at Midwest Whitetail, it was getting pretty popular pretty fast. Uh, but I don't, I don't even know what how many people were watching it back then. Yeah. Um, don't no. I mean, we just and to be honest, I don't even really pay attention to that stuff. I'm always so focused on just whatever the job is for that day. Like, yeah to get the, to get this next video out or to plan this trip or whatever it is, you know, and then you've got your schedule for the rest of the week and that's kind of how we go about things. And then before you know it, you're five years into it and you, you know, you got all these people watching. Yeah. You gotta be uh, really going crazy. uh, Last couple of years here being married on top of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. That Uh, definitely, I've definitely, I've become way more, or I've tried to, I've tried to become way more efficient. Um, and, uh, I've talked to Andy May a little bit about this and I think he's a, I think he's got a lot of knowledge when it comes to that because, uh, you know, he's a teacher and he's always going on like these two, three, four day trips Mm -hmm. and having to get it done. That's, that's, what's really impressive to me is if, if you got somebody that's out there that can, they can just take off Friday afternoon, go somewhere, hunt Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and then go back and be, be home to hunt the rest of the week. And they can still manage to get into deer. That's, those are the type of, of folks that I really gravitate towards. Those are the ones that can get it done super efficiently. You know, I mean, there's a lot of guys that kill really big bucks or a bunch of deer or whatever, and they hunt 50, 60, 70 times a year. I mean, we've done that in the past. And that amount of time that you put in the woods is obviously that's a huge component of being successful. Mm -hmm. 
But as you guys know, there's a lot of folks out there that don't have that time. I mean, before I was married, Dan, I was going on trips. I would be gone for hell. If it took 18, 20 days to do it, I'd be out there, (laughs) you know, but now, um, being married and having two boys at home, I like to, I like to go on like four to seven day trips and come home for a few days and then go back for three to five days or whatever it is. And just, I'm, I'm constantly bouncing back and forth, which is a lot of traveling, but, um, I've had to, had to kind of change things a little bit, uh, as far tactically, as far as I've went about it just in the last couple of years and try to become more efficient with my hunts. Yeah. It's funny you say that because the very first time I went to one of Dan's workshops, I don't, it was a lot of years ago now, but it was the year I was getting married and, uh, at the end of the workshop, Dan always asked everybody, what did you learn and or why are you here? Or whatever the, whatever the question was back then. I can't remember, but I remember telling him the reason I was there is like, I kill one or two bucks every year, but how I do it is I just go every day until I kill one or two. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I know that's going to have to <laughs> slow down a little bit. So I'm kind of, I was in the same boat back then. Like I needed to be more efficient with my time when it comes to hunting. Um, and then, you know, years later, you, you slowly start to figure it out. I don't know that I've figured it out yet, but, no, closer, we'll never, closer you we'll never yeah. figure it out. <laughs> no, we'll never figure it out. That's the beauty. No, of it. no, you're wrong most of the time. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now that you guys, I mean, you guys are one of the largest. I mean, largest hunting platforms on YouTube now. You know, get like your your seek outside and your or your seek one. I mean, um, like your hush guys. Those guys are are big too. Um, How's things changed since you guys gotten that big for hunting and in, in the hunting general, uh, the, you know, the sense of hunting for you, um, has, has things changed much? No, I don't really think so. We're kind of, like I said, we're always focused on the process. We don't, we don't really, um, we don't really focus on the, you know, the numbers behind it all. One yeah. thing I guess that has changed is early on, we tried to answer like every comment and every message and every email and all that stuff. I mean, I would be up at two, three, four in the morning trying to, to get to everybody. Um, and now there's no, it's not possible. Um, and we still try to, we still try to correspond as much as we can with folks. It's just, we got too many irons in the fire. And that's, that's the one thing that, that has changed that I wish we could do more of. We actually used to do these which I really like doing these like live feeds where you could get people that joined in and could ask you questions and comments yeah. that were tuning in. And we used to do these on Facebook years ago and we really enjoyed doing that. We just have got away from it some in the last couple of years because we've got too much other stuff going on. But um, as far as the hunting goes, nothing has, has changed that much. We're just always, I, I guess you could say we're kind of uh, adventure hunters, if you will. We always want to go to new areas, maybe not necessarily new states all the time, but we're always wanting to try new areas, dive in there and figure out what the heck is going on right now. And that's, I, I would say, as a group, we all really enjoy doing that. Yeah. How about the notoriety, how has that affected your uh, hunting? What's that? How about the notoriety about people recognizing you and stuff? How has that affected your hunting? Uh, we definitely run into folks out there, but it's 99% positive experiences. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, it, 
it hadn't been much negative. Usually we, we run into folks and talk to them. And since they know us, we get to visit with them about their situation or what they have going on and learn even more about people and hunting in general or the general public that hunts, if you will, which is actually what the hunting public stands for. A lot of people think, you know, it's hunting the public or something like that. And we just hunt public land. We don't, it's, it's more, the name means the general public that hunts. That's where we're, it was derived from anyway. It's just your average folks that go out there and hunt. And a lot of average folks that go out there and hunt wind up on public land. But I don't know. I mean, there's definitely there's spots that we've found over the years, like that buck nest, Dan, that, you know, we hunted years ago mm-hmm. when we started uh, when we started talking to you about bedding and stuff. I mean, this is like six, six, seven years ago now. That was a spot where if we weren't filming stuff, that was a spot where we would probably be able to go in there, you know, every year and get on deer. But uh, if you, you know, even if you try not to show exactly where you're at, the any local folks that have been in that area, somebody will figure it out. Somebody will figure it out, and somebody will um, sit there for hours and hours and hours on their computer trying to figure it out the bigger the deer is that you're hunting, the more, the harder they're going to try. I noticed that too. When they post it right online where, where you're hunting, it's like, why did yeah. you do that? You know, but I, yeah. I've, uh, the last few years here, I've learned that uh, anytime I shoot a big buck, that spot's gone. It just fills up with people immediately. You know? Yeah. So, we've noticed, we've noticed that it will fill up. Um, but in a year or two, it comes back down. You know? mm-hmm. That's what, that's what the, our, the case has been with us anyway. It's like, yeah, man, seen. if if we if and if, if if we get on a big one, like a couple few years ago, I was hunting like a hundred ninety inch nine pointer, and I hunted him for three years in a row, and really told this. I mean, we we're kind of telling the story as we went, you know, which was which was interesting. We learned a lot from that deer. Um, but as we went, you know, that buck, that type of deer is big enough; it grabs a lot of attention. If it, if we were just after a nice mature Pope and young class buck or whatever, uh, people would be interested in watching, but they're not going to, you know, try to move heaven and earth to figure out where we're at. But right. the few times when we've got on a really, really big one, I mean, I, we haven't even shown some footage of deer in the past couple of years because they're just, they're so ridiculously big that we're, we're not even going to put that out there because people will just lose their freaking minds over it you know and we don't even hunt them i mean we had one buck that jake hunted a couple times a few years ago um and hunted him a couple times saw him a couple times and then we didn't even hunt him anymore after that because it was you know just don't want to you don't want to spotlight an area Mm -hmm. and and just get people to go in there which i'm if you show something that's 190, 200 inches or whatever, they're going to, they're going to come in droves. We've noticed that for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you what do you think happens when that, when people show up, it's like the buck leaves, he's not going right. to be there. Yeah. Right. You just got to figure out where he goes to, but yeah. do you remember a couple of years ago in uh, Michigan, we got there and uh, we were hunting as normal. And then uh, I went on, I think it was Friday morning to hunt and nobody was really around. And when I came back, I couldn't even get to the tent. Yeah. <laughs> there was such a crowd. There had to be hundreds of people that showed up. Yeah. Do you remember that hunt? Oh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And that usually happens specifically on the public land challenges that we've done over the years, um, where where folks will figure out where we're camped and mm-hmm. come out and visit or whatever. And we're all for that. I mean, we love talking to people, but I think people are a little bit surprised when they get there and they see us just, you know, we're not just standing around a campfire drinking beer every night. As mm-hmm. soon as we get back, I mean, you know how it is, Dan, because you've been at all of them. As soon as you get back, you go in the camper or the tent or wherever, you start capturing footage, you start charging batteries, you start packing gear for the next day, you start packing your food for the next day. You know, you've got to get a decent amount of rest. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're mentally going to be screwed for the rest it's of the trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an insane amount of work. In some of those spots, I mean, a few years ago, we drove – you were driving two, two and a half hours from camp. So you get back at nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock at night, and you're going to get about three or four hours of sleep to get in the truck and drive all the way back up there. Plus you've got to capture all that footage and charge those batteries and pack your food and do all that that I said. And you got people that are around that want to visit. Um, yeah. I mean, we try to do as much of that as we can, but like I kind of brings it back to the efficiency part I was talking about earlier is, you know, we're on a we're on a short hunt uh, just for a few days, and uh, then then I got to get home. You know, I've got family and obligations back here that I got to get to. Um, not to mention, that there's a ton of work that goes in behind the scenes running uh, a business, and and all the editing that is involved and the post production stuff. A lot of people don't realize, like we probably one person's footage like just my footage giving it to you yeah that's keeping somebody busy for three or four hours a day at least just mine oh yeah multiplying oh, yeah. by everybody and it's insane oh the public land challenge we got we usually have two guys in the in the camper editing 10 to 13 hours a day mm-hmm. you know and sometimes that's me sometimes that's greg um whoever's available and whoever's not hunting we're it's just constantly editing like we probably spend 40 percent of our time hunting and 60 percent of our time editing mm-hmm. editing videos and just capturing footage and whatever how do you decide who's hunting and who's editing ah uh, we just try to we try to spread it out so uh you know if uh if i start out this season for example with a tag and i hunt 10 days then maybe jake gets in and hunts the next place for a week to 10 days then maybe greg is on deck after that you know and we just try to we just try to continue rotating through like i said i don't care who kills the deer i don't care who goes on the hunt i just want to be able to convey something of value to the viewers doesn't matter who's doesn't matter who's hunting so and as long and that's kind of where my thought process always always goes to it's like we're lucky enough to get to do this to make content for folks out there that's the way that i feel about it is like we're that means we got to make sacrifices on our end i can't hunt you know every single day in every state that i want to all fall because i need to spend time helping other guys or editing or filming or whatever else so that we can you know basically involve everybody within the group and i think that's one that's another reason i i don't know you'd have to ask our guys that but i feel like everybody within our group 
understands each other real well and we know that we're going to be fair to each other so we're not we don't have very many selfish guys in our group they they're all you know about that mission it's like mm -hmm. what do we need to do to create value for our viewers today when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And what's the best way to do that? And yeah, that's that's kind of how we break it down. Yeah, usually on those public land challenges, there's only one of us that gets a tag. The rest of us are working or editing or, or rotating in and out filming. It's super impressive. Yeah, it's super impressive what you guys you guys have done the last five years. I mean, just to to have a group of men that you know, or have their egos in check enough to be able to, you know, take those positions. Um, it's cool, man. Thanks. And, um, yeah, for sure. Um, so I wanted to ask you, so what's the craziest thing that's happened to you guys on, on one of these trips, whether it be uh, a fan interaction or just, uh, an interaction with, with, uh, uh, not so big a fan or, um, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, We've had, I'm trying to think, we've had several run-ins with people that were like drunk in the middle of the night that came up on our camp. And I don't know if they knew who we were or not. There's a good chance they didn't. And they just were not in a good way and found us, you know, on a dead end road in a tent in the middle of the night. We've had stuff like that happen a handful of times um, where, you know, one time we got, one time we had somebody pull up next to us at, in the middle of the night, I mean, right next to the tent and fling rocks and gravel and stuff all over the side of the tent and just screaming, you know, at us out of the window of their truck, uh, saying, you know, saying every word in the book. And I, that was on a turkey hunt. I remember, and I was in the tent and I had my shotgun laid across my, my lap on my cot. And I had, I was slowly putting shells in it. I'm like, this guy comes up to this tent and starts, you know, making problems. <laughs> we're going to have a, we're going to have a real world situation here real soon. Um, but that never happened. I mean, we, I'd say that's that, that same scenario or something similar to that has happened a few times whenever we're out there camping. Cause you know, as you know, sometimes you're, you're just camping out there on the side of a road somewhere. Who knows who the heck's going to happen upon you in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Dan? You've surely had some good stories over the years. Oh, uh, kind of the same stuff. I mean, uh, I remember one time in uh, Illinois, we had uh, uh, a group of guys down there and uh, everybody, but a couple of us went to the tavern and they got the hell beat out of them. And then we got all the windows broken in our campers and stuff. And because people were mad that we're in their area. Yeah. It's gotten a little better these days. People don't really jump people and beat the hell out of them anymore, but they used to back in the eighties and nineties a lot. Um, I think uh, the craziest thing that ever happened to me was uh, 
I was at a Home Depot and uh, I'm driving through the parking lot slow and there's somebody following me and, and watching me and the guy was like in military fatigues and he looked really scary. Um, and my wife was oblivious to him, but I'm watching him, you know, and I pull into a spot and uh, I see the guy purposely go around and park kind of kitty corner for me. And he gets out of his vehicle and he's like hiding behind the vehicle watching me and I'm just watching him out of the corner of my eye. And I see him like sneaking up on me and I actually uh, put my hand, slip my hand into my pocket on top of my concealed carry. And uh, the guy kind of jumps out around the car and I'm like freaking out and he sticks his hand out. Hi, I'm a big fan. He's going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Is he just real awkward? It, it was. The way he snuck up on me was awkward, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, you see me come wave and say hi from a distance and then come yeah. over. We've had yeah, stuff like funny. that happen. And one time the, the boys were going down the hunt and uh, got there super early in the morning and there was a car parked there. And it was a couple of crackheads that were out there trying to find their drugs that they had hidden on the public land. And they were acting like super sketchy and hiding around the back of their car. And yeah, it was weird. And it was at the spot that the guys wanted to hunt. They just got there real early because they had like a two and a half mile walk in or something stupid. And yeah, they were just, they eventually called the cops and cops came out there and I think they, I think they caught them or pulled them over or something. That was at like two 30 in the morning, but yeah, I mean, you see all kinds of weird stuff when you're dealing with public land, you never know who's <laughs> going to wind up out there. One, oh, one time, uh, this is a funny one and it's actually on the channel because, uh, it, it kind of, it didn't end up being super extreme, but we went, we got into this new area in Alabama and we were walking around it right before dark, trying to reach some turkeys. And I looked down this old logging road and I, and I saw a guy down there, like standing in the shadows, full camo, like paint on his face. And you can't, you, it was the day before turkey season. So you couldn't hunt. And I'm like, what in the hell is he doing? all of a sudden he sees us and he just like slides into the woods <laughs> and he, and there's not a vehicle anywhere around. I mean, there is no, we are the only vehicle on this place. And this guy is miles away from a road. And we're like, what in the hell is going on? We got in the truck and we're driving out that evening. And all of a sudden a helicopter with a spotlight comes over the trees and, and flies literally, you know, 60 feet above the truck with the spotlight just dancing around the ground, almost like they're looking for a fugitive, you know, out there. So we called the sheriff's department and everything. And we're like, are you guys looking for somebody? Cause we just saw somebody in these woods over here. And it turned out it was some training exercise or something. And <laughs> oh. yeah, but it scared, the hell, out of, yeah, it scared the hell out of us for a minute. But yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Who knows what oh. that guy was doing? Yeah. Um, all right, we've been talking for a while about uh, just BSing essentially. So let's start. Let's talk about some tactics. You were you were talking earlier about Andy May and and getting on deer quick, and obviously over the years you've like you said you guys have had to figure out how to get on deer quickly when you're you're, you're traveling out of state and you're on limited time. I think Andy's. I heard a statistic from on a podcast about Andy's kills like a deer every four sits or something something insane to me. Um, do you have any pointers for everybody on on how to get on deer quick whenever you're traveling out, out of state um, on, a, on a deer hunt specifically? 
Uh, that's it's it's hard to give general pointers on it because it's so situational everywhere you go. Um, but I'm always looking for ways to, I guess, cover ground as efficiently as possible the first couple of days that that we're there. So if it's an open area, for example, I'm looking at a topo map ahead of time trying to find out if there are any high points where I can get up and I can glass long distances. And better yet, if there's a bunch of high points close to a road access or water access where I can take a boat and I can just like bounce from A to B to C to D and cover a bunch of ground with my eyes really quick, just over the course of a day or two, I will take that route. Um, sometimes, sometimes I feel like we can pick a spot on the map when we get to it. This is a, I feel like this is a mistake that I used to make and I don't do as much anymore. We would pick a spot on a map, go in there, look for the back corner that's three miles in, you know, across two rivers and whatever. And we'd be like to hell with everything. We're going there first day. And we would spend our entire first day going all the way back into that spot. And if it worked out great, but what you're, what you're ultimately doing, say you're on a five day hunt is you're pushing all your chips on that one spot that you've never been into before. And if you dive all the way in there and expend all that energy and time and there's nothing there, you have just wasted a bunch of time. So if I can, I guess what I'm saying is if I can scout five good looking spots in the amount of time that it took me to scout the one, I'm usually going to scout the five. And what, what happens more often than not is I'll be right two or three out of the five times or one out of the five times, regardless. If I can scout that those five areas in the amount of time it took me to go scout the one, I'm going to pick the five. Now, maybe that means I'm looking at like overlooked stuff that's real close to a road that's real, real thick that you can't hardly get a tree stand in. Um, and I'm just bouncing in and out. I mean, that's how we found those bucks in Michigan that Ted ended up getting on that last day, Dan, when we were there for the challenge that day, me and Ted, literally we, we speed scouted like seven or eight spots from the gravel road. And I would literally jog in there half a mile or whatever to a little patch of thick stuff. And I would speed scout around the, the exits looking for fresh sign. And I would drop pins, you know, green light, red light and move on and you get back to the car and you go do it again. I mean, if, and if there's two or three of us, like in that instance, I was dropping Ted off. He was diving into an area. I was driving down the road a mile, diving into an area and then coming back through and picking him up 30 minutes later. And we're doing that throughout the day rather than, um, diving way in there, you know, putting our stuff on and just, just going for broke. Mm -hmm. Um, and that seems to that seems to help. But like I said, it's situational. It could if you're if you've got good water access where you get a canoe in or something or a boat where you can float down a river and you're you're basically hunting all remote stuff on one side of it where you can just pop out, basically scout the bank and within 60, 80 yards, get back in and keep on moving. Um, that's what we have the best luck doing. Dan, you got anything to add to that? I was just thinking about uh, the challenge last year in Indiana. Um, I was having a rough time at, at first because uh, the big bucks were so sparse. They're so far apart. And uh, I ended up abandoning uh, my hunt and not feeling like I had to hunt every morning and evening and just jumping in the vehicle and glassing 
and finding deer. And then I got on them and then it started working. And what was funny is I talked to Aaron about what he was doing when he started, but we really don't see each other or what's going on. I mean, like everybody watching probably thinks we all know what each other's doing, but we don't because we're just hunting all day. You get back, you're so tired, you sleep. But at the, after the hunt, watching the shows, I had to laugh because Aaron and a few of the others ended up doing the exact same thing. And I noticed that like when we were in Michigan too, and, and, um, a lot of times we ended up in the same spots. You find out later that we we're looking at the same terrains and stuff. It's kind of interesting how, you know, um, you keep adapting and that's what's successful. And I think that's what's uh, been successful about me and you is the adaption. You you get into a spot and you you have a plan, but when it don't work, you got you got to change it up. You got to do yeah, something. Yeah, you got to pivot. You're only there for five six days. If you're if your first plan isn't working out and it isn't working out fairly quickly. You got to pivot and move and try something else. Yeah, my biggest just... problem has been getting on to stuff really fast because, um, you, you know, I think I'm good at that, but in each one of the challenges, it's been like right at the end, I feel like, can't we just hunt a couple more days? I'm on them now. Because <laughs> at the end, you're, you're starting to figure things out. But literally, I mean, that's what it is. You got a week, you know? And... Yeah. And I mean, yeah, every year that's what happens is towards the end of the challenge, we're all st sort of starting to zero in on those things. And anymore, if I could take eight days worth of hunting and break it up into two trips, um, the time in the woods is time in the woods for the most part. As long as you're not, don't leave too big of a gap because then you're, you know, if you go the first week of October and then you don't go back until the end of the month, you may miss a lot in between as, as to what's going on. But I almost feel like if I can go for three or four days, then come home, recharge my batteries for a couple of days and then go back for three or four days. That second time you can be um, super efficient because you have all that knowledge and it's still good because it's just a few days have passed. And towards mm -hmm. the end of those trips, I mean, we're getting pretty zapped. Um, that's another thing that I'm always talking to the guys about is like, you know, when I was younger, Ted's age, for example, I would just sleep two, three hours a night, drink a couple Bud Lights every night before I went to bed and wake up in the morning and just go, go, go. I had to hunt every single minute of every single day. Yep. And as I've got older, I don't hunt as much. I almost scout more and I make sure to try to prioritize my rest so that I'm mentally and physically sharp because the kill days on those five day trips are day four and five, 80 percent of the mm -hmm. time. And yep. you got to be sharp on those days. That's when you've got all the intel to go off of. If you're not, if you're dragging ass because you didn't, you know, you didn't get enough sleep or whatever, or you've, you know, you've just expended all that energy, then you really got to push yourself, um, which we always have to do. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, and most of the challenges we end up in the same, same general areas. You know, we, we might get there a little bit different way, but we always, we always end up in a similar location. Mm -hmm. Seems yep. like. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm going to come at it with a little bit of a curveball with advice for that. And I, it's not my own advice. It's someone that, um, I got a buddy that's a little older and, uh, he's killed like 43 big game animals in of the, uh, 43 state, 43 states of the 50 with a longbow. And he told me, he goes, the first thing you do when you get to a new area, new state, so you can go to the local barber shop and get your hair cut. 
And he yeah. said, you talk, you talk to the locals there. Yeah. And there's probably going to be a couple farmers sitting in there. You talk to them. And then he said, after you get done with the haircut, there's probably going to be a, a little diner next door to the barbershop. He said, you go in there and you eat, you eat breakfast. And he said, you sit in there until you see someone that looks like a farmer. And you go talk to them and you ask them about deer hunting. <laughs> and he said, eventually, he's like, you're going to run and someone's going to let you deer hunt. And, and he said, and then he said, he said, that's a good way. He said, I've gotten, I can't tell you how many deer I've killed because I just talk to people locally. And I know that's a little bit different you know and then maybe you know if you want to go on public then then maybe you don't need to no, do that. I mean, it's, it's maybe all good advice you know, yeah or maybe you'll get okay. access to public in a different way than than what anybody else can get to and that can be like all the difference in the world um oh yeah so i mean we, that's we my, do that all the time where we're yeah. trying to you know if we've got a two and a half mile hike or whatever into a, into an area but you can access through private on the backside we will try to get that private access because a lot of times those bucks, you know, especially if those folks don't hunt, maybe they don't even allow hunting on their property, but they'll let you walk through their yard or whatever to get back in that mm -hmm. woodlot. Well, those bucks aren't used to seeing any hunting pressure come from that direction. So you're going in there and you're saving time on your entry and exit, but you're also accessing them from an area where they're not used to seeing the pressure. You're catching them off guard. We've killed several of them doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you guys hunt all over the place. Do you, uh, do you have any pointers uh, for people to like, uh, when they're, they're trying to decide on where they want to hunt? Like if they want to go on an out-of-state trip, do you got any pointers for people um, to look at the state and the area in that state? I would say don't get hemmed into just your typical whitetail states that, that get you know, spotlighted in the media all the time. People are always like, man, I got to get to Iowa. I got to get to Iowa. Well, there's a, there's a big difference between public land and private land in Iowa, for example, or they are, they're like, I got to go to Kansas or I got to, or, and I got to get my Illinois tag, whatever it is. And what they end up doing is they, they put all their eggs in those baskets. In some of those States, you got to wait several years before you can even hunt. And you're, you're putting all of your, I guess, uh, your, your effort, your time and your money into that state to try to get your big buck. When if you would just look at the options that you've got within two or three hours of your house and try to really get to know those, you might be way better off, you know, money and time wise to go and hunt there. Mm -hmm. I've noticed like there's a, there's a ton of folks that come to Missouri, for example and hunt the rut from Pennsylvania, uh, you know, maybe from Kentucky, maybe from Wisconsin. And, you know, they've got, I would argue, they have just the same quality of deer hunting where they're coming from. And which, from my perspective, I don't really care. I'm always just wanting to hunt someplace new. So I get it from that point of view. Like, if you just want to go and try another state, kudos. But if your goal is to shoot a big buck, on public land, I feel like some of the times uh, folks just try to go where they see other people going and they don't just try to, to deal with what they've got right down the road. I mean, I think about Pennsylvania all the time, Dan, where we were at up there. There was deer everywhere and there was so much ground that there's big, there's mature bucks in those woods, no doubt about it. And I don't see 
I, I guess I don't see the biggest difference. A lot of folks will say like this state is so much better than this state. I mean, we've hunted them from Georgia to Michigan, everything in between. And I actually see it being way closer on public land than people, than people think. I think it's, I think it's way closer. A mature buck on public land, pretty well anywhere you go is a, a tough target to come by. I'm talking four or five year old buck. They are, they are difficult to hunt. It don't matter if you're in Kansas or Iowa or wherever. I mean, some of those, some of those open country states, I feel like are a little bit easier to deal with in the rut because you can see what the heck's going on. But as far as, uh, I mean, there's a lot of folks that, that come from out East to the Midwest and the public land hunting isn't, it's not that big of a difference in my opinion. You know, um, where I live, the hunting pressure is pretty hard, high. And, uh, this is really a hard spot to hunt right where I live. Yeah. You've told me in the past, like when we were in Michigan, remember when we went up there, we were sitting around mm -hmm. camp talking, you were like, man, I see everybody's always telling me how many people hunt in Michigan. Hell, I got more people hunting next to my yeah. house. I thought the hunting was better in Michigan than by my house. Yeah. But yeah. even that, that being said, if I go to Western Wisconsin, a couple hours away, the hunting's pretty damn good. Matter of fact, I would say it's in a class, just like you say, like Iowa or anything else. I mean, it's a really good area to hunt. I know you've sampled that area. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty good area. However, even though I hunt there, I've killed my very biggest bucks right in my backyard amongst all this pressure. And it's not because it's a great place to hunt. It's because I live here and I can hunt here more. So I put more time into it. So, I mean, you can, you can kill deer big bucks just about anywhere they're at you just have to be in the right tree at the right time yep i totally agree with that i mean we and we've experienced that all over the board you know at this point i was in i was in arkansas last year saw abs i saw the biggest buck that i saw all fall i mean bigger than anything that i saw in iowa not even close on public land and you know we went to georgia a few years ago and it just killing a deer down there was going to be an, an accomplishment we felt like especially after the first few days because we didn't see hardly anything and heck we ended up getting on a, a buck that always shot in iowa any day of the week um you just you never know i think that time and that energy and effort that you can put in that's why it's just that intel is so important i think about pennsylvania all the time like that and how much ground there is to work with mm -hmm. Uh, man, if you couldn't get to know that, like the back of your hand. Yeah, that was a great area. I, I want to go back there. Yeah, same here. But anyway, big... Josh, that's a long-winded answer. Yeah, no, no, no. That's what, that's good. It's good, good. I think the, I mean, I think something else I could add to it, uh, is like, no matter what you do, just go. Like so many people yeah. want to go places and they never go anywhere, you know? It's like, man, just get out there and make it work make it happen. Um, yeah, I that's my advice to people. I, I I posted a thing about an elk hunt the other day. I went I've been on a few elk hunts and people are like, That's that's a dream of mine. I'm like, Man, I went when I was like twenty four for the first time, had zero money. I just like scrapped together some stuff from the bargain cave at Cabela's and got out there barely, you know. Um, uh, but like had a time in my life and it's like you didn't take much to go on an out of state hunt and just gotta gotta you gotta go. Mm -hmm. Um, make it work. So um, anywhere, if you can't afford to pay a $780 Iowa tag or wherever they are now, then 
you know. Oh, they're uh-huh. they're super high. That's what yeah. I look at. I mean, man, last year we have good years and then bad years in Iowa, and it all it all depends on how much time we have to devote to Iowa. Um, yeah. Because years ago, when we were just working at Midwest Whitetail, we didn't travel. We just had all we put all of our eggs in those baskets, so we were able mm-hmm. to get on more bucks. And I've noticed the more we we have traveled, um, and the less time that we put in at home, the di- more difficult it's getting to get on bucks at home. Because we j- every time that you know, like you're talking about towards the end of the trip, you're getting on bucks. It's no different when we're at home. It's like man, day four or five of the hunt you're starting to figure something out and then you got to bail and go somewhere else for a week and a half, two weeks, maybe a month. And you, then by the time you get back, you're starting from, you're starting mm-hmm. over again. Yep. But I, I look at these guys that are putting in for Iowa and heck now in some of those zones, it's going to take four or five points plus the cost of the permit. And they're going to drive all the way across the country to go. And I'm more power to them. It's an amazing experience. But if your goal is to shoot a big buck, you need to be putting in just as much time and effort close to where you're at, you know, where you can get where you can get there and you can sort of bank that intel over time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, everybody. We've been talking for about an hour now. I think we're going to hop into the the question and answer, if that's all right with you guys. Dan, you got anything else before we hop into the Q&A? No, go ahead. I think we'll have a, a lot of, uh, and bear with me, guys. We have like an exceptional amount of comments tonight, so I'll try to filter through them. And uh, if I if I uh, seem like I'm blanking on something, it's because I wasn't listening and I was reading the comments. So <laughs> um, this one is, I'm going to get I'm gonna get rid of a few uh, funny ones that I think are funny. So, uh, so how's Dan lowering the prices of the hunting beast stand right now? Can him and the CEO of Arizona Ice Tea start running the country? <laughs> uh, that's more Mario's uh, um, thing. You know, he runs the business. I just uh, shake hands and kill stuff. That's what I do. So <laughs> I, uh, I make new prototypes and stuff like that. He runs the business. Um, it's probably going down because of volume because we're uh, making more at a time. Um, yeah. so we can be more cost efficient. Yeah. Um, I just posted a, a link for people to call in at the bottom of the comments. So if you want to get on here and ask a question, just follow that link, copy it into your web browser and you can, uh, you can get on the show. You'll be at the, you won't come in right away. I'll have to add you. So just be patient with me. Uh, especially if you got a line of people you're waiting on. So I'll try to get to you unless we run out of time and I'll just tell you we're out of time and tough luck, but um also if gotta plug myself here if you guys like what we're doing right now we do this every week me and dan do with either me and my just me and dan or a guest um so make sure you subscribe and and like the the channel for me it's the best way to support me um i actually quit my job i don't know whatever i put in my notice about a month ago so this is how i'm I'm gonna make my income uh over the next year or so to um to try to to make it uh anyway um one more. Josh, is this an informa- infomercial? Rub? Yeah, it is, uh, Dave, for the first three minutes, every every show. Dave's part of our uh, Hunt and Beast group, Aaron, so I had to give him some love there. All right, we have a call in already. Um, hey, sorry, guys, I'm doing landscaping, but I had to call in. <laughs> What's up, man? Hey, um, I was going to ask you um, – 
what would you recommend for someone kind of starting out making YouTube videos? Would you recommend more volume or high quality, like editing focus, or would you recommend just whatever I can turn out as far as good content? My buddy's making fun of me right now. I'd probably say, I'll, I mean, I'd say you'll agree with me, Dan. Just be unique, be yourself. Um, don't try to do what other folks are doing. Yeah, that's we, the main we, thing. We already have an Aaron Warbritton. We already have a Dan Infault. You need to be yeah. a Jacob Sklenner. I don't think many people call in while landscaping with deer in the background, though. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Nice, man. Five bucks. Yeah, Dan, I, I can't shoot this one right now. I'm sorry. I didn't say shoot it. <laughs> catch it. Five bucks and catch it. Catch <laughs> All right, we're, that'd be a really good start to your youtube channel right there there you go <laughs> all right jacob man we're uh we're gonna hop off here that's enough all right uh thanks man thanks dude all right we have uh another call in here zach m hey everyone zach, how's it going man good how are you guys good, good. uh dan, dan aaron huge fan um Aaron, I wanted to ask, uh, last year, the hunting public, every, everyone in your group kind of acknowledged it was like one of the hardest years you guys have had hunting wise, uh, since starting the hunting public. So I wanted to ask, what was your biggest takeaway from this season for having such a, a difficult season overall for filming and hunting in general? Uh, we did, we just got overextended. We got too many big ideas back, uh, last summer and got too many tags so we were constantly running from one place to the next and i that that was our achilles heel all fall it was just we were we were in one place and we were just starting to figure out the deer and we needed to you know go home regroup and go back or stay for another day or two and we just couldn't because we had too many tags we had too much too many trips planned and you know, we've started to get into the Western stuff more and more the last few years, elk hunting, a um, little bit of mule deer, antelope, and that hasn't made the whitetail hunting any easier because we're, you know, thinking about different species. And, you know, this year, though, we all kind of sat down and because we all had the same issue, we just weren't able to put the amount of time in that we needed to, to hunt whitetail. So this year we're going to we're going to decrease the amount of tags. I think we're each just going to get tags for a couple of states. Like maybe I'll probably get a tag here at home in Iowa and then I'll get a tag in, I may get one in Missouri because I always hunt with my family down there and then uh, may get one in one other state. And then if we fill those and we start having a, a you know, a better year, then we'll buy more mm. and, and continue on. But last year we just, we overextended ourselves on the planning side. Yeah, it always seemed like, uh, like you've said a couple times throughout this, that you guys got on the deer right, right as you guys had to move to somewhere else. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> cool. Happens all, all the right. time. Appreciate yeah. you guys having me on. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Zach. Zach. Thanks, Zach. You know, uh, whenever I come off of a bad year, I usually do really good. The next year, that's when I kill my biggest stuff. Like if I get a year where I don't kill a buck or something. The next year, I usually get something really big because I just go at it like real focused, you know. Well, I hope that's the case this year. We had mm -hmm. a we had an amazing year in twenty twenty though too. It was like twenty twenty was just nuts. Everybody was killing big ones, and 
I feel like, you know, we, and then last year was the complete polar opposite of that. So maybe this year we we can average it out. We got a couple more guys waiting on us down here. And this, this next guy, uh, I'm going to have to apologize. I, I read like the smartest kid in the sixth grade. So, um, I think it's Zach outdoors at him on here. Hey man. Hi. Hey buddy. Talk man. (laughs) What's your, uh, what's your question, man? Um, can you make some more episode with kids on them? Sure. (laughs) I got two, I got two stepsons, eight and 10 years old and they're itching to get out in the woods here soon. So. I'm hoping that we can get them their hunter safety course in the next couple months. I have my own show called The Outdoor. We'll check it out. With, with my dad. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so everybody go check out Zeke Outdoors there. It's on the bottom left of the screen. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Good buddy. Luck, buddy. Yeah. You got anything else? Did you kill any of those deer behind you there? No, well, that's all right. Well, um, when we were walking to the sand one time, there yeah. was a buck, and we and we shot it. Heck nice. yeah, cool. And I trapped cool. it. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. My grandpa always told me there's plenty of them out there with your name on them, so just got to keep on hunting. That's right. <laughs> all, all right, buddy. Thanks for calling in. Thanks. That was cool. That's something we should probably we do could do a better job of is taking some kids. All right. All right. Now we got another one. Um this is Adam. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, hey Adam. Uh so a couple questions. I was laughing at Dan saying normally when you have a bad year, you have a good year coming up. So I had the worst year ever last year. Oh, and you're I'm- in for a good one this year. Yeah, I hope so. Totally switching public lands. Um, I have zero intel. I don't know. I've seen big bucks killed on this public land in the past. But how does how do you guys go from just looking at on X, going to a brand new area you've never been, you didn't shine it, you didn't scout it in the summer, to picking certain spots on that map and saying, I need to go there and put boots on the ground and check that spot out or this spot instead of just walking the whole thing, if that makes sense. Want to take that, Aaron? Uh, you go first if you got a thought, Dan. I look at the terrain and the edge and um, elevations, and I look for where I think uh, big bucks would be, and if it holds the type of uh, terrain that I think it should to have big bucks on it, um, I go and I rapidly scout that stuff on my way in, and I look for big bucks sign coming out, and if I find it, then I slow down a little setup as I'm getting close to where I think they're bedded and, and take my best shot. And when I fail, I just move on. And if I don't find any sign of big bucks or I only find one or two big rubs, I move on. And I just keep moving until I get into the stuff that I want because you're not going to find big bucks on every property or in, in every area. You have to keep moving to find one because you have to be on a big buck to kill a big buck. So I'm constantly moving position basically until I find one and then I kind of narrow down on it. Yeah. And we're doing the same thing. Um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, we're trying to find ways where we can be most efficient with our time so that we can cover as many different, um, you know, 
subsections of those areas as quickly as possible looking for sign. Um, maybe that means you have a bike and you're running trails back and forth into the back of that public area instead of walking the whole way. Um, that way, and on that bike, you can go three times as fast as you can walking. So you can cover more ground and you can check, you know, and that's, and that's what we're doing is we're looking at the spots on the map that look like good dense bedding cover, uh, good, good diversity with habitat. Um, and then we're trying to find those exits and checking them, like looking for a fresh scrape along the edge of a clear cut or something, or a line of fresh rubs or a big track um, that was just left, you know, after a rain. Mm -hmm. And there, there's just lots of those little bitty details that are hard to explain in a podcast. But right. the, the main thing is what Dan said, it's just putting boots on the ground and, and covering ground. And I think a lot of people get hung up on one spot or they'll they'll find a good amount of sign maybe they'll find a big rub or two but that rub might be a week and a half old and they'll just hang out in that area and they'll they'll waste a bunch of time right there the buck that made that rub might be a big mature buck but he might have made that a week and a half ago and now he's on the other side of the property right. and you would not find him unless you're moving unless you're actively searching for him and I, I kind of had a follow-up, if Josh, if you got time. If not, it's no big deal. Go for it. Go for it, man. So, Aaron, after talking to the guys at the MSU Deer Lab there, when the question that stuck out to me was when Zach, Zach asked if if these bucks left the property once the hunting pressure, and they those guys said they didn't see that, does that change the way in your mind you go and scout an area knowing that information, or does it not make a difference? Uh, we're pretty aggressive. Like well, several of the bucks we've killed, we've bumped them a day or two before we killed them. Mm -hmm. And in my, and our every deer is different, so it's hard to say what exactly they're going to do. But for the most part, we don't, especially in bow season, we don't see them leave those areas. They just they change the way they use them. They change the way they move. They they might go seek more security cover where there's there's fewer people during the day, but they're still there and they're still moving. That's what we see. Right. Cool. Yep. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Sorry, I got a dog barking. Nah, I had one barking earlier. My my wife came home and both mine oh. were barking. I'm gonna shut this door quick. I got Go a for coon it. snarling behind me. A coon? <laughs> yeah. We got a new guest in the house. Um found him on the road. Uh mom's oh. Aaron, have you seen Dan's pet coon? I can't remember the name of it now. What's that big coon that comes up to your house every year, Dan? Floppy? Yeah. Have you seen Floppy that thing, Aaron? He's wild. I was just out feeding well, her. Well, I know, but if you could put him, put her on Instagram and feed her cookies every night, I think she's as pet as a, as I would get on a coon. I don't feed her cookies every night. Today, oh. today she had a, a banana muffin. Oh. <laughs> I thought that oh. was Carol's pet coon. It's yours? Uh, we, we raised it from a baby and then released it. And it's been coming uh -huh. for years. Um, she's got a license for uh, rehab. Yeah. I mean, uh, we got one right now that uh, mom got squashed. And, uh, man, it's a little ornery sucker. It chewed the hell out of my hand uh, yesterday trying to take ticks off of it. But I don't know if you heard him snarling in the background. Every time he hears my voice, he snarls ever since I pulled the ticks <laughs> off of him. <laughs> All right, let's gonna. We got a few more questions here. I'm gonna let's see your uh, buddy warm up with him. <laughs> <laughs>
Rusty. Yay. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm a little bit of an old fart here, but I'd like to know a little bit more about the different characteristics of deer across the country. Because I think a lot of people don't realize that deer are just different from state to state as they are from region to region. Like I'm, I'm here from Missouri and we go, we grow pretty good sized bucks here, but, and you can't get an odd one down in Arkansas, but I went hunting down in Arkansas and some of the deer down there look like German shepherds. And just different characteristics. I'm not counting on these uh, farm raised deer. I mean, out in the public, public view part of it. Have you noticed any kind of different characteristics about the way the deer are across the country from where you guys hunt at? I mean, I've never hunted in Nebraska, but I heard it. Iowa and Nebraska is supposed to be where you go and kill a big deer, but I've killed a lot of big deer down here in Missouri as well, down in the southern part of Missouri. I don't notice a huge yeah, difference um, unless, unless, unless we go to the extremes, like unless we go like way down into the southeast where they're rutting much later into the fall um, or way, way up north or something like that or way, way out west. Uh, just a state or two away, I don't see a I don't see a tremendous difference. I think that they all behave. Um, I I think mature bucks are all individuals. I mean, for the most part, like one, and that that may be the case one farm over from you, or one you know a mile up the road, one buck to the next. One buck may act much different than the than the one that's right there. Um, the one common thing we see everywhere on public land is that that mature bucks learn to avoid people. I agree. I agree. Well, thank right. you guys. Yeah, thanks for helping on, Rusty. Okay. All right. All right, we got another one here. I'm gonna hop Moby Mike. He's a repeat call in. Moby Mike hey, is going. Uh, good man. Hey, how man. are you? Hey, Aaron, uh, I love that your channel focuses on, you know, learning and teaching. Um, so like back in like 2006, I read about Dr. Ashby and yeah. I was going to switch, you know, back then. And basically every bow shop I went to, you know, they're like, that's stupid. Don't do that. Didn't do that. You know, sh shot a light setup for many years after that, killed plenty of deer, you know, and then, you know, had a bad situation with the shoulder blade thing. And Anyway, I just wanted to thank you guys for bringing that out and gave me the confidence to finally make the switch, and it's worked out well. It's amazing what a single bevel will do to a, a bone. It's just it's just insane. But I was just curious. The, the question is, you know, it seems that some people in the industry have responded, but how has the general perception of that been going? Because even this last time here when I just finally switched, you know, I walk into a bow shop, ask for a 250-grain arrow, and they're like, Oh, you just saw something on the internet, but when it's all scientific, you know, research, and I'm just wondering if people are coming around to that or what your thoughts are and how your setups have been working for you guys. Uh, we haven't really seen the industry come around to it. Um, I, I, but I'm not really that, that concerned about it. I mean, we have a local bow shop and those guys are awesome. Um, and they're one of the few that we've went to from the get go and, those guys that actually run that shop, they don't shoot super heavy stuff. They shoot light stuff, but they help their customers with whatever the heck they want. Um, and they'll do the best job that they can for them. So they're, I think they are a good example of how these bow shops need to think. It's like if somebody's coming through 
the door with money in their pocket and they're wanting to they're wanting to spend money on whatever the heck they want to shoot take their money and help them you know that's the way i see it but anyway uh yeah there's there's definitely some folks coming around the the heavy stuff in the the single bevels are still pretty new to us we've only been shooting them now for a few years but uh so far had really good luck it just it always comes down to really knowing your setup well and knowing what your limitations are with it because there's really no way to have everything in one it's like you know you 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 might have a setup that's built to break bone and kill deer on quartering two shots inside of 20 yards and then you might have a setup that's on the complete opposite end of that spectrum that shoots really flat trajectories out to long distance so and you maybe you're shooting mechanicals and you love mechanicals i mean i don't i don't care what folks shoot whatever the heck they want the main thing that we're always preaching is like really know what your setup can and can't do because that's going to help you kill more stuff all right thanks thanks yeah, no problem. all right all right dave's on now hey guys how y'all doing yeah Good, dave. dave hey i just wanted to uh uh compliment you on one thing aaron that i kind of been uh uh ribbing dan about a little bit and one thing i think you do super well is look directly in the camera lens like i'm intentionally <laughs> trying to do now um, <laughs> that, was, that was a little creepy there dan but, but uh no because it, it, it to me it adds something where you really looks like you're talking to the, the people you know what i mean um so keep ribbing dan about that uh but in any case what i wanted to ask you is um you answered a whole bunch of my questions so this has been a great interview josh um but where do you see you guys going next, right? Or what? how do you see um, your group evolving? Um, you know, you kind of came out with a big splash. Everything's getting more refined. Um, Riser was on the uh, chat. Um, he's a huge aspect of giving your, you know, your show's texture. And, um, you know, all the editing you do is fabulous. But where do you, guys, where do you see you guys going next? And uh, I'll drop off here. Thanks. We're just, we're always focused on trying to make a small and subtle improvements on everything that we do like uh whether that's getting new lenses for cameras or finding ways to get better audio in the woods or just finding new and better ways to tell a story of a hunt we're always from the production side we're always dabbling with that sort of thing i mean every year we have maybe it's a new point of view camera or a new idea of something we're going to try and sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does but I, I feel like if you're not always trying to improve then you're going to be getting behind and just ourselves as individuals we're different our group now is different than we were in 2017 because when we first started thp uh we we talked about this a little bit earlier but we all traveled more and had more time to put into an individual hunt and now we don't um have as much time we have to be more efficient with our time and all of us are kind of in that same boat so we've had to to try to learn how to to do that try to learn how to make hay with less time yeah yeah that was good. that was one other sort of related question i had was um you know when you guys go to a new state in a particular area you've never been it seems like you go with you know three four uh what i would call teams of hunters where you have a 
where you have uh, the individual hunting and then the camera person. How much do you think that helps you dial in places faster? Or are you guys hunting far enough away from each other where it kind of isn't uh, a benefit? Uh, it just kind of depends. It, it can be. It certainly can be. If there's if there's a group of guys in camp, several tags that are all pretty unselfish and want to help each other out, and maybe one guy notices a pattern, you know, deer hammering, you know, nut all oaks right now maybe three miles away the other group is hunting and they're they're slipping through scouting the next day and they come across a grove of nut alls and some thick brush mm-hmm. and they think back to that intel that they that they gave the night before from their other group from that sort of aspect uh yes it definitely helps to have have more folks involved yeah yeah no that makes a lot of sense and i just you know kind of like to echo dan earlier and just all the guys you got hunting with you um I think there was one, was it two years ago, Dan, when we had Ted, um, Ted up, didn't want, didn't wind up shooting anything, um, during gun season, but, uh, you know, um, Hayden and, and, uh, those guys were awesome to, to hang out with for the day. So just compliments of that. And I know you bring new guys in all the time, but, uh, you know, keep doing a good job on that. And thanks a lot. I'm going to drop out. Thanks. Appreciate it, Dave. Thank you. All right, we got a couple of questions just to answer uh, in the comments here, um, and I'll let you guys kind of answer these. So I'm going to filter through them while you're answering answering them, unless I think of something good to say. But um, first one here: thoughts and major takeaways from your Indiana hunt, and do you plan on coming back? Um, he says he was there in the same camp, uh, seen a few decent bucks, but it was a struggle. I personally really want to go back to Indiana, but I'm not going this year because uh, I've got an Iowa tag. I've got a uh, bear tag. And uh, um, if Aaron sends me someplace too, um, that'll spread me out pretty thin. Yeah, I don't I don't think we're going to get back to Indiana this year either. We definitely want to go back. It's a beautiful country down there. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was difficult. It was probably our toughest <coughs> – excuse me toughest challenge that we've had thus far as far as the public land challenge goes but it wasn't for lack of big bucks they definitely were there um but you know every it just depends i mean every situation is so dynamic and different and ever-changing that you know and when you got a bow in your hand you could be in all sorts of big bucks and not do well and then you could go to another state where you're only on one and end up killing the thing Mm -hmm. so Definitely want to go back, though. For sure. All right. Here's another one. Any talk of where the Public Land Challenge will be this year? Uh, no, we haven't really discussed that. Pretty early really. yet for that that kind of figuring out. Yeah, I don't know. I usually um, know about five minutes before um, we leave. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you usually always give me the same answer when I ask you where we should go. And you're like, I don't care. Just let me know. Surprise me. No, that's funny. All right. Here's another one. All right. Any input on being a non-resident hunter in Iowa, uh, which would most likely be the first time in probably 2025, I made some effort to see if I could connect with other hunters um, that were in. Wait a minute here in the area. Sorry, the whole comment isn't in there. So I think he's asking about any recommendations for non-resident coming to Iowa. He sound, he's probably 
I'm assuming he's going to be draw in 2025. Yeah, uh, I would. Uh, it, it all depends on if you're going to be hunting public or private, really. But I would be trying to get out there and walk and scout, you know, when you have time in between now and then, just a little bit at a time, just to get familiar with the area a little bit. Uh, cut your, you know, driving roads and looking at access points or whatever. And it, and it all depends on your your goals too. That's, uh, you know, one one guy may want to draw a tag in Iowa and just come down and enjoy the rut and try to shoot a nice representative buck, and the next guy may you know, be buying points right now to hopefully go down there and shoot the buck of a lifetime in 2025. And those are two very different things. So it, it kind of depends on what your, what your goals are there, but connecting with other hunters in the area is, is a good start. I kind of see that uh, connecting with other hunters and kind of like, eh. you know, if you don't know guys and stuff, you try to try to get involved with other people you're going to get second string at best. And I've always That's done lone wolf in it when I go on trips like that. And you'd be surprised. I mean, at first it seems like uh, a little scary or whatever, but you jump into that stuff head first and uh, you'll have no problem getting on to stuff. Just, uh, you know, like Aaron said, the scouting is, is huge. Um, look at some maps, try to find some, you know, places. If you go, if you want to get uh, advice, I would probably look at, uh, trying to talk to biologists or something in the area. I think that'd be better than hunters. Um, farmers. Yeah. yeah. Farmers. Yeah. Okay. A couple more here, guys. Any thoughts on coming back to pure Michigan? Thought you might want to return for some revenge as y'all struggled some during public land challenge in Michigan. Yeah, I, got, I think I got roped into a Michigan hunt this year. So I think I am <laughs> going to Michigan. I think I'm going to make Josh go to, although uh, he's got a lot of plans. But I would like, I would love to go back. I don't know if we'll go back this year or not. Really want to hunt up north. I found some place up north that has no deer. That's where we're going to head. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go hunt up there where there's deer density super low. Yeah. The part of Michigan I like, that's I like, like the challenge of that. I, I, Michigan was a great place. You know, you know what really uh, struck me about Michigan was. Uh, the sheer number of people who told me you can't do this in Michigan. There are no overlooked spots. There are no big bucks. And, and, uh, although I didn't kill one, I was in them. I mean, the tracks were there. The sign was there. You could see where they were living. I mean, I was seeing two-year-olds walking around in broad daylight and open fields. And it was not nothing like what people said. I saw yeah. a lot of deer. It was, it was a great hunting state. Yeah. There's a lot of deer, a lot of deer. And there's lots of opportunity. There's a lot of public, a lot of places you can go, and you're going to have to compete with other hunters, certainly. But that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I just don't see a giant difference um, anymore. I mean, when we go to a public land, we're kind of we're, we're always trying to solve the same problem. And there's not like this. I mean, like we said with Indiana last year, it kicked our butts. But Indiana probably had just as many or more big bucks in it that Minnesota did a few years ago where we were hunting at, but we were more, way more successful in Minnesota than we were in, in Indiana. It just, you know, it all depends. Yep. That in Michigan, the one thing that really struck me was that uh, hunt that me and Jake did um, in that swampy area where I, I had, I can't remember how many it was, but it, it had to be like 20 deer came by me. And mm -hmm. uh, like, 
like 10 or 15 of them were bucks and every one of them was a little spike. <laughs> yeah. But that was a, yeah. that was an interesting hunt. I don't think I've ever had that many deer go by in one set. All right, Aaron, how much time is spent editing on those out of state hunts compared to hunting? You kind of touched on this earlier. Oh, I mean, more than hunting. I don't, yeah. I don't know the percentage really, but you know, say you hunt for three or four hours a day, maybe on one of those out of state trips, you're editing seven, eight hours for that. Somebody is, or you are back when we started this deal, we were, we were hunting and then going back and then editing all night and then going back out and after day four or five, you'd slept like two hours. It's remarkable <laughs> how fast you turn around a video. Yeah. We've gotten pretty quick and pretty efficient at it because we've edited so many over the last, you know, 10, 12 years. But when we worked at Midwest Whitetail, that was what our job was, was like, okay, you've got four shows to crank out this week. And as soon as you get those done, you can go hunting. So we were just in there with just slugging coffee all the time with a pizza maker right next to our computer and literally screen zombies for days and days. All right. Let's see here. What's this one say? How do you keep yourself hunting fit during and before the season? Eat, sleep, exercise. Uh, I don't know. I, I go to the gym a lot in the summer and in the winter, and I just try to eat everything that I see in the summer and the winter time, because inevitably in the fall and the spring, I'm going to lose probably 15 pounds, um, throughout the hunting season or more. I'm, I lost 15 pounds in one elk hunt a few years ago. That was a week and a half long. Um, so that's kind of what we do is, try to put on a little bit of weight before the season starts sleep's important to me i think that i can definitely tell a difference if i towards the end of a trip if i if i haven't been getting enough sleep like it my my mental sharpness suffers and i start i start making mental mistakes that i wouldn't have made if i was you know rested and pretty sharp you just gotta Damn. practice by not sleeping all year yeah. <laughs> then you get sharp like me. <laughs> I'm like you, Aaron. I gotta get I gotta get some sleep anymore. I used to not be like that, but man, anymore it's um yeah, I can't. Yeah, and and honestly, uh, Aaron's right. I mean when when you're well rested and stuff, you're more sharp, you're more in tune with what's going on around you. Yeah, for sure. Um all right. I'm gonna end it with this one. This is a comment. Public land challenge in Wisconsin would be nice. A lot of public land up to hunt up there. I think Dan may have a little advantage up there, though. Yeah, I don't know if they want to do that. <laughs> uh, we'll go anywhere. We don't care. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be there at some point. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be All this right. year or not, but we'll see. I'm Jake's afraid, from up there. I'm so. afraid of you sticking me somewhere it's not in the south. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean we. There's no. I don't know that there's anybody's got an advantage down there. It's just rough. It's <laughs> tough sledding. There's big bucks though. There's big bucks. People down south. A lot of the local folks will say, you know, there's no big ones down here. They're they're all up in the Midwest. But man, there's we always find mature bucks down there. They might be a hundred pounds, but 
they're still mature bucks and they're pretty cagey. They act like the ones do up north too. All right. Yeah. All right, everybody. Um, thanks for uh, getting on tonight. There's a pretty big crowd on, so that was nice. Um, if you liked what we did tonight, go ahead and subscribe and, and like the, the, um, the video I'll be putting clips up throughout the week of little sections of what we talked about tonight. So if you guys want to go back and kind of filter through those, you don't have to watch the hour and a half, um, video, be looking for, for those in the future. Aaron, thanks, man. Dan, thanks as always. No problem guys. Yeah. Thanks for everybody getting on tonight again. Uh, we will see you guys. Oh, I'm going on vacation starting tomorrow. So we're going to try to do one next week, but not guaranteeing anything. And if I have good service or good internet, we'll get on one night and me and Dan will be yes for a while for everybody. Maybe answer some questions and maybe just have like a tactics type podcast tomorrow or next week. So, um, all right guys, uh, have a good night and see you later. Thanks. Bye.